Welcome to One Life Online, a podcast that brings you the weekly sermons at One Life Church Kampala. In this episode, we listen to a sermon from Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23, titled Four Hearts, presented by Martin Muchoki. As you listen to this message, may the Lord speak to you through His Word by His Spirit and cause you to walk according to His will by His grace. May say the Sea of Tiberias was where he sat. And as he sat there, he spoke and he taught many things and he taught in parables. Many of these things are not recorded. Many of his parables are also not recorded. You ask me, how do you know? Because of John chapter 20 and verse 31, who tells us that many things Jesus did, which he supposes if they were to be written down or recorded, all the books in the world would not be able to fit. So Matthew tells us that he spoke and he taught many things in parables. Now there are two important things to say here. Place parables. Two P's. Place parables. The place where Jesus is speaking from has been famously called or traditionally called the cove of the sower. The cove of the sower. A cove is a, uh, how can you define it? A small bay. Uh, it's different from a gulf. It's, it's concave in shape. And this place has been called the cove of the sower or the cove of the parables or even the bay of the parables. This was an amazing place with outstanding acoustics. So when Jesus is going there to the shore, and then the people are all around him, he goes onto a boat, a little bit on the water. And, and, and on that shore, on the beach, about up to 7,000 people could be able to sit there. Imagine that, 7,000 people. And then on the hillside, about 15,000 people could, could fill the hillside. It looked like an amphitheater. The acoustics were so amazing that someone seated on the topmost part of the hill could hear the person standing on the sea, uh, seated on the boat of the sea, in this case, Jesus. Even though they could hardly see the person, they could hear them. Maybe this is better seen than explained, isn't it? So that's why I prepared a video, which Ivan is going to play just now, so that, so that hopefully it will agree to, pay, to play, so that you, you can be able to see where Jesus was as he was giving this parable. Will it play? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, please play the video. Hope the sound will be good. Thank you for watching that. I thought it gives a, a, good men, a good mental understanding of the place where Jesus was preaching from. And maybe it didn't look like that at that particular time. Certainly things have changed um, in the past 2,000 years. But imagine in your mind that Jesus is seated on a boat on that water and he's speaking to the people on that hillside and other people are seated by the shore. That is the place. Number two, the parables. This is not the first time we are coming across this word, the word parable, in our study of the life of Christ. We saw, para, we saw the word parable in, Matthew, in Mark sorry, chapter 3 and verse 23, uh, where it says that Jesus spoke to the Pharisees in parables that Satan cannot cast out Satan. We saw the word parable used as the word proverb in Luke chapter 4 and verse 23, Physician, heal yourself. We saw the word parable in Luke chapter 5 and verse 36, where Jesus spoke a parable. 
and he said no one sews a piece of an old garment on a new garment. Even when he was preaching his sermon on the mountain, Luke chapter 6 and verse 39, the word parable came up. But this is the first time in the Gospels where we are finding the word parable. Keep in mind, we are going through the life of Christ in a synthetic, chronological manner. But if you were to read the Gospels from Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1, it is in Matthew chapter 13 where you would come across the word parable. And this is why I'm paying special attention to it this day. So you may be asking, you may be wondering, what is a parable? What does a parable, what does the word parable mean? It means to compare. It means to put alongside. It means to place side by side for comparison. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly significance. It is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Earthly because it uses ideas that are familiar to us. And Jesus does this so well. Jesus is the master teacher. No one can ever teach better than he did. Just watching that video now, he taught from things that were just around him, things from ordinary life. And he taught in all manner of ways. But his sermons were so rich, like my sermons, and so simple to understand, like my sermons, and not complicated, unlike my sermons, he had a way of making dim things very clear, unlike me, who has a way of making clear things very dim. Jesus was the master teacher. He, he spells out the lesson, and you understand it clearly. He uses earthly things, such as marriage. He talks about a feast. Um, he talks about customs of the day. He uses things like business, or even the idea of farming, which is what we are looking at today, to be able to bring out his message in parables. The lesson is usually what is important in any parable. So if you're studying the parables of Jesus, look for the lesson that he aims to bring out. Normally, there's just one point to every parable. There's just one point that comes out in the entire story that Jesus gives in any particular parable. For example, in the parable of the Pharisee and the publicans in Luke chapter 18, we, we are, Jesus tells us in verse 9 of chapter 18 that he spoke this parable to those who trusted in themselves to those who depended on themselves and despised others. That's the entire point of the parable. So the point is always one. The lesson is always one, and it is crucial in any parable. This word parable appears a total of 50 times in the New Testament. Imagine that. 17 times in Mark and 13 times, um, 17 times in Matthew, sorry, and 13 times in Mark, 18 times in Luke, two times even in the book of Hebrew. Even in the epistles, we find a word that can be translated as, as parable. Parables carry truth about the kingdom of God and truth about Christ as well. Most of Jesus' parables spoke about last things, last days. If you may, they were eschatological in nature. And, um, and we shall see more and more of this as we come along. They talk about the kingdom of God, the kingdom which has already come and the kingdom which is to come. With the coming of Jesus, the kingdom came. We have seen that. The kingdom is here, but the kingdom is not yet in its fullness. And most of his parables drive our minds to that, to the future, to stop thinking about now, but to think about life to come. Perhaps just one more thing before I finish on this parable issue. There are two dangers to avoid whenever you are reading parables. 
There are two perils that you better run away whenever you are reading the parables of Jesus. The first one is disregarding important features. You may just simply read it as a story, but the first one is don't disregard important features. The second one is attempting to make meaning of every detail in the parable. Uh, you will stretch it. You will go to the other side of allegorization. Yes, there is meaning in the words that he says in the parables, but you can't make meaning of every single word in today's terms. So find that lesson that Jesus is giving out. In the case of today, Jesus is talking about soils, and soils here are in reference to our hearts, your heart, my heart, the parable of the soils. If you look at Matthew chapter 13, which was read a few minutes ago by Andrew, it naturally divides itself into three parts. It's a natural three-part sermon. From verse 3 to verse 9 is the parable expressed. From verse 10 to verse 17 is the purpose explained. And then from verse 18 to verse 23 is the parable expounded. So you find the parable expressed, the purpose explained, and the parable expounded. Such a natural, beautiful division, very good for any preacher who wants to make a three-point outline of his sermon. The parable expressed in verse 3 to verse 9 is as simple as it was read. Some seeds fell by the wayside, beside the, word, beside the road, along the path. Uh, people trampled under those seeds, and the falls of the air came and devoured them up. Other seeds fell upon a rock or on rocky soil, they fell upon stony places. There was not enough soil, and they were not able to grow. The sun came up, good for germination, but it was not good for the growth of that particular plant. Others fell among thorns. Literally, actually, it is upon thorns. Those thorns that were there on that video, some of the seed fell upon those thorns. So we read, they came up, but they yielded no crop. They produced no fruit. But there are also some of the seeds which fell into good soil, on good ground. They grew up, they increased, they yielded a crop, they produced grain. Some a hundredfold, others sixtyfold, others thirtyfold. Luke simply says a hundredfold, and that's it. I've always thought, is it thirty out of a hundred? Is it sixty out of a hundred? In my mind, I've always convinced myself it is thirty out of thirty. Sixty out of sixty. Whatever ability God has given you, whatever place God has given you to serve him, bring fruit if it is 30 out of 30 or 60 out of 60 or 100 out of 100. As he said these things, Jesus would call out, he who has ears, hear. He who has ears, listen. And so this parable is spoken to anyone who has ears. And you're saying, uh, do I have ears? Yes, I have ears. Then this parable is spoken also unto you. Because the way Jesus says, this, says it, it is to all those who can hear. So my question is, how is your hearing today? It was not very good at the beginning. I hope it is better now. And you can be able to hear better. Hearing is really important, isn't it? But it's also very, very difficult. I was listening to... Darrell, as he was reading that devotion from the Valley of Vision, a beautiful devotion, by the way, and, and I had to pay special attention as he was listening, because especially in modern day, our minds wander so fast. I read a study that says that Generation Y and Generation Z 
their attention span is now about 12 seconds. So that's why TikTok is making these 15-second videos. Imagine that, 12 seconds. We are near to that attention span of a, of, a, of a goldfish of six seconds. So it becomes very, very hard to hear and to hear attentively. The, the parable that Jesus speaks focuses a lot on hearing. And so that is the parable expressed. In verse 2, we see the purpose explained. Sorry, point 2 is the purpose explained, the purpose of the parable explained. When Mark is writing his account of this parable, in verse 13, after the disciples ask Jesus, we don't understand this parable. Tell us what it is about. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus asked them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all other parables? How then will you be able to understand all other parables? And Jesus is saying this parable is really important. It pertains to how you hear, how you listen to Jesus speaking, how you hear the words of Jesus, how they come in through your ear and into your heart and even enter into your spirit. So when he was done in verse 10, as soon as he was alone, they came and asked him, please, explain to us, please, why do you speak to them in parables? Did you notice that? Not, why do you speak to us in parables? Why do you speak to other people in parables? And referring to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 to verse 10, and using his own words, Jesus explains why, why he speaks to other people in parables for two reasons. He speaks to them in parables to disguise truth from non-disciples. He speaks to the disciples clearly so that he can disclose truth to them. He speaks in parables to communicate to believers, to conceal truth from unbelievers, to let out and to lock in, to pass on and to put out of sight, to reveal and to veil to impart and to inhibit, to hold out and to hide, to make known and to mask. Whenever you're reading the parables of Jesus, you say, this is very clear, and to me, I see what Jesus is trying to communicate. But the person who is without Jesus doesn't get it in the same way. They wonder, what is this man saying? He is out of his senses. He is mad. There is a problem with him. What is wrong with the sower? What he should have done is gone and gotten tractors. They would have come and digged up this land, and then he would have thrown this soil into that soil which was now dug up. They just don't get it. But you, you get what Jesus is saying. Most of Jesus' parables, by the way, are very plain to understand. It is only two parables that he explains. The parable of the soils and the parable of the wheat and tares, which we shall look at Next Sunday, God willing. Only two does he explain. And so he hides the truth from the obstinate, from the willfully ignorant, from those who are stubborn in heart, those who will never, ever believe. Those people only Jesus knows. So don't just take this and say, I will also not speak to anyone. I have concluded that that person is willfully ignorant. To some extent, you may. But our work is to go out and teach the gospel and present the good news 
of Jesus. And this explains why when we looked at the text last Sunday, the Pharisees could not understand the seriousness of the sin which they were committing. They could not understand the gravity of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Because Mark tells us, in Mark chapter 3 and verse 23, that Jesus spoke to them in parables. They couldn't get it. They couldn't understand it. And you think, this is very cruel of Jesus. And I answer you and tell you, no, this is actually very, very compassionate of Jesus, not cruel. It is compassionate because it would only heighten God's judgment of that person if they were to know the truth and not leave it out, if they were to be deliberately hard of heart and willfully ignorant. It would only build up his liability. It would only fatten that person up for the day of judgment. So by the mercy of God, he conceals this truth from this person. But Jesus was also leaving out his own teaching, which we saw in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 6. Remember that verse that we looked at after do not judge? It says, do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Do not continue to present the gospel to those who adamantly and obstinately and deliberately and continuously and pridefully reject it, mock it, scoff it, resist it, and hate it. Don't do that. Just don't throw your, your pearls to pigs. Don't give what is sacred to dogs. By all means, evangelize to unbelievers. But those who have rejected it, so to speak, wipe off the dust off your feet and leave that place and go. And this happened with Jesus. This happened with the apostles. Paul told those who he was going to preach to, you have rejected the message of the gospel. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so this is the parable explained from verse 10 all the way to verse 17. Jesus explains why he speaks in parables, why he teaches in parables. That and lastly is the parable expounded from verse 18 to verse 23. The parable expounded from verse 18 to verse 23. The sower, the sower is definitely Jesus. The seed is the word of God. The soil refers to the heart. Soil refers to the heart. There are four types of hearts that Jesus brings out in this parable of the soil. He tells us about the stone, for the sake of aiding in memory, I have alliterated them. So it is the stony heart, the superficial heart. He talks about the, the stuffed heart, and then he talks about the super heart, the stony heart, the superficial heart, the stuffed heart, and the super heart. Which one would you like to have? The stony heart? No. Superficial? No. No one likes anything superficial. The stuffed heart? I think not. I believe what any of us would like to have is the super heart that Jesus speaks of in this parable. But let's look at each one of them so that we can find, we can see whether we find our place in any of these hearts. First of all then, the stony heart, the difficult heart, the hard heart, the resistant heart. 
This is the wayside, the seed that fell by the wayside. There's an expression like that in English, but this is not exactly what it means. This is the seed that fell by the wayside. Soil that has been hardened by people walking on it. By animals walking on it. So that that piece of ground is compacted and it is hard like this. Or hard like this. This is the hard heart. The stony heart. This is the person who hears the word of the kingdom. In verse 19. And does not understand it. The Bible tells us that the wicked one comes. And what he does is that he snatches it away is that he, he takes it away, he catches it, he snuffs it. Perhaps sometimes you've seen a chicken with her chicks. And the chicken is, is walking along with her chicks and is looking for food for them. And then from nowhere comes an eagle or a hawk or some kind of a bird and snatches away one of the chicks. And it is gone and you feel so bad, you feel compassionate for the chick. By God's design, that's the food of the bird, you know. But the cheek is taken anyway. It's the idea that is spoken of here. Satan who snatches like an eagle does to a cheek. He does this lest they should believe and be saved. See how diabolical, how wicked, how evil, how malicious, how bad, how devilish, how demonic, and any other bad word that you can attribute to the devil. See how wicked he is. He does this so that this person would not believe and be saved. But you also see that the person was not interested to hear. The person was not listening so as to understand. The person, so to speak, was just there. Ah, it's time for fellowship, so let me just go for the fellowship. I'll just say a few things here and there. They don't go so that they can edify others. Oh, it's time for prayers. Ah, now these two hours of prayer... Okay, I'll say some things and then we'll finish the prayers after two hours. Uh, I have to drag myself to church again. Maybe it's even the children dragging you to church. Okay, I will go for their sake. Then you come and the word is spoken and it is preached wherever that may be. And the person hears it, does not understand it. The devil takes opportunity and just takes it away. This is the stony heart, a very hard, a very difficult heart. It hears the word, but it will not allow any penetration of the word. The antidote is obviously seeking to listen to the word with an aim to understand it. By doing this, you'll be able to resist the devil, and the devil will flee from you. The devil is pictured as a bird in this first heart. The second heart is the superficial heart, the shallow heart, the flimsy heart. The frivolous heart, the seed which fell on stony ground. It fell into stony places, verse 20 tells us. The same is he that hears the word and immediately with, with gladness receives it. My version says anon, immediately, on the spot, they receive it. Have you ever... Have you ever gone to a, a, a church meeting, a service, and the preacher is preaching, and, and, and the people in the congregation are all hallelujah, oh, praise the Lord, thank you Jesus, and it's all good things to say they are praising the Lord, 
and they are and they are responding to the message with every single word of the preacher and they are taking money from their pockets and they are going and putting it in the feet of the preacher and there is so much jubilation do you want to do that i'm receiving gifts no and they take the money and they put it at the feet of the preacher and all manner of things are happening and the preacher gets caught up in all this euphoria and, and goes on preaching for three hours and the people are still shouting. They are receiving the word with gladness, with so much joy. You enter into that place and you say, oh my, this is the place to be. Not like those people of One Life Church who just listen and give you a straight face. I want to be here. These people are receiving the word with gladness. What's the problem? After that, the word has no root. It's better those people who are just listening quietly. They are taking it all in. They are meditating on it. They are letting it marinate in their minds and on their hearts. They're letting it sink in. They are applying it into their lives. They are taking it slowly. It's no problem with taking the word with gladness, but they are taking it slowly. These people receive the word like that, but there is no root. It is not grounded and rooted in the word, so it endures for a while. These people believe for a while, then affliction, tribulation, temptation comes and they fall away. The following day on Monday morning, they go to the office, something happens, and they are like, ah, that God who, who said all those things is not the same God. He's just God of Sunday. He's just God of that particular time. It's not the case. Trials come and tests come. Problems come to all people, afflictions that are specific to Christians. And Jesus says, these ones will arise because of the word. Do not be shocked. Be prepared. Do not be surprised, just be alert. But this shallow heart, it has no anchor. Its gladness is snuffed out by a trial, a difficulty, a temptation, a hardship. These are people who are eager to receive Christ's message, but their commitment is very superficial. This is the situation with a superficial heart. How can you help? Colossians tells us in verse 16 and verse 7, verse 6 and verse 7 of chapter 2, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. How did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? You received him by faith. So walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Don't move away from those elementary principles and teachings of Christianity. Not only the stony heart and the superficial heart, there's also the stuffed heart in verse 22. The congested heart, the crowded heart, the cramped heart, those seed which fell among thorns, seed which fell literally on top of thorns. When Jesus is speaking, they understand clearly that we do today because their fields were divided by there would be a field here and then hedges of thorns, and a field and, and hedges of thorns. And when someone went to plant their seeds, some of them would fall on the soil and others on the thorns. These ones fell among thorns. So they hear the word go forth, but three things. The cares of this world, number one. 
the cares of this age, the worries and anxieties of this life. And those anxieties are many. I'm sure you can agree. Specifically today, we talk of three. We talk of climate change. We talk of the coronavirus. And we talk of what? Of what? You can get the other C. Climate change, coronavirus, and conflict. There is conflict in northern Kenya. There is conflict in Yemen. There is conflict in Tigray. There is conflict in Ukraine. There is conflict in the Middle East. And this affects all manner of things. The coronavirus effects, I don't even need to talk about those ones. You know them well. And what about climate change? Did you know that before November 1st, in my beloved country, Kenya, it had not rained for eight months? From February, no rain. People flying into Kenya via plane says it looks like just one big ball of, of earth. It's, it was so dry, no rain. Yes, patches of rain here and there, but generally no rain. Six million people at risk of starvation and death. Effects of climate change, they are real. Those things which are the chaos of, which are the things that pertain to this world, tend to be worries in our mind. So how will my children make it in the future? So how will I pay my bills? Will I have good health? Will I die at a young age? The chaos of the world. Statistics in Uganda tell us 4,200 people die per year on road accidents. Half of those on borders. Something to worry you, isn't it? It's there on the newspaper. That's how I get these numbers. Chaos of this world. The deceitfulness of riches. Deceitfulness of wealth. Wealth, <laughs> the Bible says that wealth is deceitful. I wondered how can wealth be deceitful? Who doesn't want to be wealthy or rich? If I ask by show of hand, who doesn't want to be wealthy or rich? Most people would likely not lift up their hands. The Bible here says the deceitfulness of riches make this heart congested. How? Because wealth has the propensity to make people use all their energy and their time running after it. And you have it and, and you run after it and, and you get just, just one more, just a bit more. Then you call this person and you ask them, hey brother, so and so, sister, so and so, I didn't see you at the prayer meeting. I didn't see you at the fellowship. I didn't see you when we, we gathered together for church. I didn't see you in such and such a place when we had agreed to meet on these times. And they say, oh, I, I have no time. I don't, I'm, I'm chasing some kamani. I'm running after some money here and there. It takes God's place in your heart, in my heart. It has the propensity to do that. To make you trust in its provision. It increases anxiety. It increases troubles. It heightens loneliness. Jesus says the congested heart, he links it with the deceitfulness of riches. And not only that, but the pleasures of this life. The pleasures of this life make this word unfruitful in someone's heart. And you can agree with me that there are many pleasures in this life. Entertainment, travel, food, designer clothing, vehicles, all manner of things. So many pleasures. I want to get that... Uh, what is this new phone? iPhone 14. I want to get the iPhone 14. And when next year they release 15, I want the 15. And I want the six. I don't know if they'll go that far anyway, but I want that one. That's the pleasures of this life. There are so many pleasures in gadgets, in devices, 
in vehicles, and so on. The way Mark puts it, he says, the last of other things. So the problem is not the things, it's the last. These things choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. They are like, like thistles and, and thorns. They are like briars and, and thickets, which, which, which starve the soul of the life that it should have. And they choke you because my life, your life, is so concentrated on getting that. This is the starved heart. Luke says that it brings no fruit unto maturity. The person remains a baby in the word. At the best, at best, they remain a baby. You find someone 20 years after they have believed in Jesus, they're still drinking milk. How can you help? Jesus already told us in Matthew chapter 6. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about things. I, I will sustain you. Even in the midst of climate change, coronavirus, and conflicts, I'll keep you and I will help you. I give you life, I'm able to sustain it. I give you body, I'm able to clothe it. Hey, this is what you're going to do, Jesus says. Just seek first my kingdom. We know that. Seek first my kingdom, Jesus says, and my righteousness. Seek first my redemptive purposes. That is his kingdom and his righteousness, his relational privileges, and all these other things that people who don't know God are seeking after. God will give them as byproducts. It's a way to help against not having this stuffed heart. Another way is to give. Hold things with a loose hand. Most Christians agree and even they say, uh, uh, if only our church can be like the early church. That early church, it, it was so good. The early church, those people sold what they had and they shared their possessions among each other. So if, if, if someone came to you today and said, oh, I'm a Christian just like you, I'm your brother in Christ, please sell everything you have and come and distribute it among other people. Most people are likely first to say, uh, and you're not alone. Remember the rich young ruler. You want eternal life, but to hold on to the things as well. One way to help that the word doesn't become unfruitful is to hold things with a loose hand. It is to enjoy good things in moderation. God has given us all things that we may enjoy in moderation. If you want to live long, this is what you are going to do. Just obey your parents and then eat anything and drink anything. And obey your, don't worry about your weight and, and anything unhealthy. Just obey your parents, right? No, that's bad theology. Take care of your body as well. Let God be your, your number one delight and your number one pleasure. The worry, wealth, and pleasure, Jesus says, have the propensity to eventually make you completely unproductive, to develop spiritual indifference, and themselves become barriers to spiritual fruitfulness. But Jesus' teaching ends on a good note, the super heart, in verse 23. The fruitful heart, the fertile heart, the productive heart, those seeds which fell on good ground, on good soil. He that received seed into the good ground is he that, Luke says, in an honest and a good heart. I mean, the heart is already prepared. They have a, they have a noble and a good heart. And then now the word comes and falls into that heart. It's just perfect. This person hears the word. That remains constant throughout. This person understands it, they receive it, 
And then we read they keep it. They, they, they hold it fast. This is the idea. If they are going to shelter anything, it's the word of God. Let everything else disappear. Let everything else be secondary and tertiary. But the word of God is primary to me. This person has a super heart. This person bears fruit with patience. Again, it is Luke who adds with patience, with perseverance. The troubles, the difficulties, the afflictions of life, they are there. The temptations, they are there. But this person keeps on going. And they keep on pushing on. And they never give up by God's grace. And they bring forth fruit. It yields, the Bible says, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and others thirtyfold. Again, it is Luke who says only a hundredfold. And I wonder, is it possible to bring a hundredfold fruit? You think? Yes, it is possible. I have an example from Scripture in Genesis chapter 26. Isaac goes to Gerar. He says that she is my sister, repeating the sins of his father. And then Abimelech sees Isaac, the King James Version says, spotting with Rebekah. I like how it like, like has a way of hiding words. If you are carrying the New American Standard Bible, it says, caressing with Rebekah. The NIV says, caressing with Rebekah. <laughs> the ESV says, Isaac was laughing with Rebekah. You see that play on words, Isaac laughing? Because Isaac means laughter. Do you get it? Okay, Isaac laughing with Rebecca. And then Abimelech is not happy with him. He says, some, some of our men might have slept with your wife, and that would have been a curse on us. And then they're able to live together, Isaac and Rebecca. Isaac continues in that place. What does verse 12 say? He was able to plant. He was so fruitful that he produced fruit that was a hundredfold. It's possible, brothers and sisters, to produce food, fruit that is a hundredfold. And so this is the first of Jesus' parables um, in Matthew chapter 13. Anyway, the parables that talk about the kingdom, there are seven of them in this chapter alone. And we shall attempt to look at those in the next three Sundays. Thank you for listening to God's Word today. Feel free to contact the pastor on phone at 0705-581-369 or send an email to pastor at onelifechurch.ug or follow us on Facebook at One Life Church and subscribe to our YouTube channel at One Life Church Kampala, Uganda. One Life Church is a multicultural community of believers equipped to serve Christ's mission.